Pastor Alan Jackson has been senior pastor of World Outreach Church for more than 30 years, my favorite church in Tennessee. And under his leadership, the church has grown from a few dozen people to a congregation of over 15,000 in the heart of Middle Tennessee. His messages reach across the globe through online streaming, television, radio, books, small group studies, many other resources. Alan, great to see you. You've been with us on Think, Pray, Vote, and now you're with us on Takeaways. Welcome. It's great to be with you again, Kirk. As a pastor, you're talking to people all of the time, and you really have your finger on the pulse of what people are thinking, what people are feeling. <laughs> and in our culture today, what are some of the, the big stressors that you see people having to cope with? Yeah, I think probably at the head of the list. I mean, the e economics are obviously a part of that right now with inflation and gas prices and all that goes with that. But I think beneath that is people have lost trust. They don't know which mm. information stream to trust. They don't know which organization to trust. They don't know if they can trust their churches. Right. You know, it feels like everything's got dumped in the blender. And I think people feel isolated or they're trying to ignore it all. You know, there's a group of people playing shuffleboard on the deck of the Titanic. Well, there's another group trying to figure out how to make the lifeboats work, and people tend to fall into one of those two categories. Yeah, and how do you find people deal with these things? I mean, what, what, what are their coping mechanisms? Uh, politics seem to be corrupt. We don't know if we can trust the medical industry. We also look at the economy, like you're saying, I can't afford uh, you know, my, my gas or my food. Businesses are going out because people can't find uh, employees. And so what do people do? That's a really good question. But, you know, the best response I've seen is that there's a group of people unprecedented in my lifetime that are making an effort to seek the Lord. There's a group of people that have stepped forward and kind of doubled down on their faith. Mm. And those are the people that seem to be flourishing to me because they've found a purpose and something that is stable and steadfast. I think the shaky ground is when you imagine that you can secure your future apart from God. You know, if you imagine that Wall Street or the strength of the dollar or some American company or even the Constitution was going to secure our future. All of those things are pretty frightening right now. But if you imagine that Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, is the one who's written the ticket for us for what's ahead, then there's a place of comfort and peace and really anticipation in that. I have a friend who, who always encourages me to think of the great narrative of which we are a part, to think of the story and to think of the author who's writing the story. And that's what you just said. Uh, someone has written our ticket for what is ahead. And even though we don't know what it is, we don't know what twists and turns the story is going to take. If we're friends with the author, we know we can trust him. And then, of course, we get this, this amazing choice to partner with him or to rebel against him, and we get to play uh, wise men or fools in this great story. Alan, you wrote a book called Big Trouble Ahead, mm -hmm. a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. And there are these dark, foreboding storm clouds right here on the cover. What is it that you're warning us of? Well, I think the storm has started. And, you know, to put it in a biblical context, the, the, the biblical word is tribulation, but that really just means big trouble. So we know between where we are today and the return of the Lord, there's going to be a season of unprecedented trouble. And I'm not ready to say that we're walking in that season right now, but let's just imagine that this is a, a precursor, the beginning of birth pains. There's no question we're in a troubled time. It started with a virus from Wuhan, China, but it's continued even as that virus has receded the economy's a mess. The lawlessness and violence in our nation is exploding. Our southern borders open. 
We don't trust the political class. We don't trust the media. We don't trust a lot of things. And I, I don't think we're finished with that yet. It feels like there's still a great deal of instability in front of us. But in the midst of that, the Bible tells us we can flourish. To understand what that means, I think you have to understand what it would be not to flourish. That's floundering. When you're floundering, you've got no direction, you've got no momentum, you're missing opportunities because you're not prepared for them. You know, the other side of that spectrum is to flourish. And that means you've got a purpose, you have peace, you have a sense of uh, being um, contented. Jesus said that he would give us our daily bread. That's not what we want. We want all the bread we're ever going to need for all of our days. Mm. So a part of this is to come back and realign our lives with God. We've had so much, so much affluence, so much opportunity that we could treat God as if he was an ornament on our lives. And in his great mercy, he's bringing us back to putting our faith at the center of who we are. And that's the essence of flourishing. I love how you can take difficult situations and you've got a biblical perspective on it and a historical perspective on it, even a fatherly shepherd's perspective. Sometimes we allow our children to walk into a scenario. Sometimes we may even encourage this difficult trial in order for our children to mature and grow and be disciplined by it. And I hear you saying this, that our Father in heaven, with whom we can trust our futures, is in control, he is good, and he will work this together for his glory and for our benefit. And uh, we need to double down on our faith. We do, I think your word of maturing is, is exactly right. You know, my parents, I know, always had that desire that my brothers and I would mature. I didn't want to. I was happy for them to cook my food and wash my clothes and buy, buy gas for my car. Right. I'd still be okay with that if they would do it. But they had this goofy idea that I should learn to be responsible and get a job and pay my own way. And Every one of those growth points for me was awkward and uncomfortable. And at the moment, I probably resented it. At this point in my life, I realized it was forming my character. Well, God is more interested in the formation of our character than our happiness. But we've had so much. We haven't really looked to God for that. We've just thought, I've got a ticket for eternity. Now let me live life on my own terms. And God loves us too much to discipline us, to ask us to begin to grow up. And I think it's a wonderful season for us because the church needs to be the church now. If the church stays silent right now, I believe the judgment of God will come. That's not a threat. It's an opportunity to grow up. We cannot be silent while they talk about mutilating our children because they're confused with the message that was put into their hearts inappropriately. And it, it's a very important time for the church. Comfort and convenience are not our goals. To make an impact for the kingdom of God is our assignment. We're ambassadors. Mm. And if we're not representing the kingdom to which we belong, we'll be called back and that's not gonna be a good meeting. Alan, uh, I love in your book, you're not just warning us of big trouble ahead. Uh, you're also giving us a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. We all feel the fear. We see the deception. We know that something is very uh, wrong. We can hear the eerie music playing uh, in our spiritual ears. And uh, we, we need a plan. Um, could, you, could you sort of flesh out what flourishing could actually look like in a time of fear and deception. Absolutely, let me, let me use an analogy. I've been to Israel uh, dozens, if not hundreds of times. And I started going when I was a boy. I lived there for a while. Uh, it, Israel's a tiny nation in the midst of hundreds of millions of people that are sworn to their destruction. So it's a difficult place. 
but I'm probably more comfortable in the streets of Jerusalem than in any American city. Typically, if I go have a guide, he's a friend of mine by now, but I have someone that helps me know the hot spots or the, the best places to eat or the places to avoid. And if I'll cooperate with the guide, I can flourish in the midst of a very, very difficult neighborhood where there are expressions of violence and hatred on a daily basis. Well, we live in a fallen, broken world. If we imagine we can secure our futures without the help of a guide, we're incredibly vulnerable. The good news is Jesus said when he left, he would send us a helper, a guide. And so the Spirit of God is within us. If we will learn to recognize his voice, to follow his promptings, to cooperate with him, if the economy crashes, he'll take us through. If the politicians are deceptive, he will lead us forward. God is able. He's provided the help that we need, that we've put our trust in other places. So I believe the opportunity right now is to begin to intentionally build a trust transfer, to tell the Lord the truth. I thought I could secure my future with my connections, my friends, my resources, my education, whatever. And God, I realize that I need a strength more than I represent in myself. So I'm listening. I want to grow. I want to come back to the Word of God and give it first place. You created family. You created as male and female. Marriage was your idea. You haven't redefined it. Family is something you put in place. We don't have to bow to the culture. Let's bring our faith back to the kitchen table. If we'll bring our faith to our house, it doesn't really matter who's in the White House. God will bring the right people to the White House if we'll deal with our house. It's easier to point our finger someplace else and say they're the problem. Change and solutions begin at my house. They don't begin at the White House. But if, if I preaching. can get it, yeah, from one of my favorite pastors, I'm looking at him. <laughs> and, and if I can get that right in my house, then it can begin to flow out into my house, into Absolutely. my community, uh, to my state, and uh, ultimately to the nation and the world. I mean, that, that's what revival looks like. And I think that this plan for flourishing during times of fear and deception could lead to the revival that we so desperately need. Well, I see all kinds of evidence of that. I've, as, as you so lovingly pointed out, I've been serving in this congregation since the ark landed. <laughs> but I'm watching things happening these days that I've never seen before. People coming from all over the nation to be a part of a community of faith for a few days and, and to go back into their communities and lead with their faith in those places. People coming from all over the region, people coming from multiple states to be baptized, just enormous expressions of faith that are new. I've never seen them before. And, and we're, not, we're not different. It's what God's doing in the hearts of people that's different. So I pray it grows and washes across our nation and church after church and state after state. Alan, in the introduction to your book, uh, you write, freedom and liberty are not bestowed by governments. They come from Almighty God. Therefore, in times of turmoil, the responses of God's people are essential if liberties and freedom are to be preserved. So many Christians would, would agree with you, um, and they're wondering, what, what, what does that look like for me? H how can I respond rightly in, in this culture today? Well, I think the first point, th there's a message internally that I think comes from the enemy that says, you don't have much influence. You, know, you don't have enough resources or that many people care about what your opinion is. And we miss the point of the story. The creator of heaven and earth is watching over us. He knows when we sit or stand, when we come in or go out, and if we will change the attitude of our heart, that almighty, omniscient God will move heaven and earth for his purposes. We don't have to have a 51% majority. What we need is God's people to be more serious about our faith, not to run faster and jump higher, 
but to bring a more authentic alignment and intent to honor God with our lives. We are empowered. And that message that says you don't matter is a lie from the pit. You do matter. And God's people, if 10 righteous men would have made a difference in the outcome of Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know what the number is for our nation, but I don't believe it's 60 or 70 or 80 million. I believe if you and I will begin to pay attention to our heart and our family and our, our close circle of friends, tell the truth, stop waiting for somebody else to tell the truth, and you become a dispenser of the truth. Mm. If you go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't pray for you, pray for the doctor. If you go to the ball fields to watch your kids play or your grandchildren play and they don't pray before they play the game, have a prayer from the bleachers. Let's take our faith back into our world and stop waiting for this to happen someplace else. Alan, in your book, uh, Big Trouble Ahead and a Real Plan for Flourishing in Times of Fear and Deception, you encourage us to ask a few self-reflective questions. Uh, questions like this one. Am I awake and aware of what he is doing around me? Can you unpack that for us a little bit? I, I can. I think one of the tremendous gifts that came out of the pandemic was God began to awaken us in a new way. I'll give you an example. Um, we discovered a couple of weeks ago, there's a, there's a nationwide news report that Vanderbilt Medical Center in Nashville has a gender transformation clinic and they were doing life altering surgeries on minors. Well, that didn't happen this year. That's been open since 2018. But I didn't know it. I wasn't paying any attention. And when the, when the truth came out and we became aware of it, there was enough community outcry that it's begun to impact the choices that that medical center is making. And we could give list after list of things that we've become aware of since the pandemic that we were just sleeping through. Now, sleep is a normal state of existence. It's not evil. But if you stay permanently asleep, that's a coma and you're going to miss life. And I think the church was dangerously close to a coma. We lost 60 million children on our watch because we didn't have the courage to do something about abortion until supernaturally God intervened through our Supreme Court. And now the question is that God's awakened us. What's our posture going to be? Are we going to wish we could go back to Kansas and live the life we led before we were awakened? Or will we have the courage to take our faith into this generation? I think that's a much better path and a much more exciting opportunity. It's not going to be easy. We've been surrendering the field for years. They've told us our faith wasn't welcome in the public square. You shouldn't take your faith to the corporate boardroom. And yet today we see corporate America that has a worldview that's pretty diametrically opposed to a biblical Judeo-Christian worldview. And they don't apologize for that. How is it that we surrendered that field so quietly? And now we're going to have to have the courage and the boldness to walk back into all those arenas and says, my faith and my worldview belongs here just as much as any other one. We don't have to be angry or belligerent, and we certainly don't want to be violent, but we're going to have to be determined. It's going to take a new kind of courage from God's people. But he chose our generation. He's awakened us the same way he awakened Gideon, the same way he called Moses, mm. the same way he sent Samuel to anoint David. Yes. The question is, what are you going to do? Are we going to do this? Are we going to wait for somebody else to step up? And I believe all across our nation, there are men and women now saying, I'll stand up for the children, not just my children, but the children. I'll stand up for what's right in this generation. It's going to be exciting to see what God does. The second thing that you encourage us to ask is, are my eyes open to see him in all of this? Hmm. Well, I think that's the beginning point. You know, it, it's a cliche, but it's true. We live for an audience of one. And I hope everybody that's listening will just quietly reflect on whose approval is it that I'm really striving for? You know, who is it that I want to hear say well done to me? 
And if we can sort that out honestly with integrity, not the right answer we give when we're sitting in church, then that brings a different motivation to our lives. Am I, do I really have the courage to say, let your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven? Not somebody else to do it. Am I willing to go right. forth and give myself to being a living expression of the will of God? And if we do that, all of a sudden life becomes exciting. All I have to do is be faithful to the assignment. The outcomes are in God's hands. And I have the joy of being faithful every day. So you wake, every, you wake up every morning. It's not about my strength or my resources. I'm a child of the king. And I'm on assignment today. And so every appointment, every interaction, every business interaction, if you're working in a difficult environment, God sent you in there on assignment. Take Jesus with you. If it's a difficult season in your family, it's an opportunity for, to, to know the power of God in a new way. He That's will right. help you. We're not alone. And I can relate to these things. I've got some personal situations going on in my life uh, and, and uh, family members with some health concerns. Obviously, that there, it appears that the world is crumbling around us in so many ways, economically and politically, morally, and uh, the spiritual apathy. <clears throat> Warning signs coming from people who live next door to me that are refugees from other countries saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. And, and yet I know that these are plot points in the great story, his story, and people will look back in history and they will see those who doubled down on their faith and they employed this strategy to flourish in times of big trouble because they were friends with the author of life. Alan, this is, this is so exciting to me. Thirdly, you ask us, am I eager and prepared to participate when God invites me to join him? Yeah, that's so important and it's so easy to overlook. You know, I believe success in any endeavor in life really depends on the fundamentals. If it's in athletics, your ability to excel at the highest level comes from the people who've mastered the fundamentals. It's true in business, it's true in the kitchen, and it's true in your faith. So we've got to come back. It's the Word of God that grounds us. That's right. It's the systematic reading of the Word of God where we learn about the character of God and the will of God. And it gives a, it's a canvas from which the Holy Spirit can minister within us and through us. So if you're not reading your Bible on a daily basis in a systematic way, repent and start today. I know you've read it before. Read it again. It will help you. Learning to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, His promptings, His encouragements, His caution. We don't want Him to be unfamiliar with us. And then begin to pray. You know, prayer is a is a general noun like fruit or sports. If I say I'm going to eat fruit, you don't know whether I'm having a banana or a pineapple. Well, prayer is general in those terms. We've got to become more sophisticated. There are intercessory prayers. There are prayers for healing. There are prayers for deliverance. There are prayers of repentance. And, and they're not all the same. And we're going to have to become a little more aware of the tools God has given us. We have led very presumptuous lives because we've had so much affluence, so much security, we didn't have to depend upon the Lord. We do now. And so we better begin to, to familiarize ourselves with those fundamentals that we've just presumed upon. We've left our faith in the church building for 90 minutes on the weekend and then led our lives on our own terms. But it's a new day and it's a day of tremendous opportunity. We don't have to be afraid, we just need to be prepared. You also talk about consecrating ourselves in your book, setting ourselves apart for God and for His purposes. So how, how do I do that? How do I consecrate myself while still being an effective influence on the world? Hmm. It's a good question. I think we start by admitting 
how far we've walked into the world. You know, I think the, the impetus for change is in the hearts of God's people, not in the pagans. So when we look at the problems through the windows of the church, let's not imagine it's somebody else's fault. I don't think it's the depravity of the wicked. I think it's the ambivalence or the indifference of the mm. faithful. So let's start by saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been too far out in the world. And I want to set myself apart for your purposes. More than I want, to, I want you to bless my plans and give me what I want. I want to see your will expressed through my days under the sun. And if we'll begin to say that in a meaningful way and begin to alter our life to reflect that, you see, most of us are a little angry with God because he hasn't been fulfilling our plans quickly enough. We wrote a life plan and we've had enough faith that we knew how to say, bless my plan. And I believe God now is saying to us, are you willing to follow me? Yeah. When Jesus met the disciples, he didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you the best fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He said, follow me and I'll make you fisher. I mean, I'm going to write you an entirely different life story. Now, they went fishing from time to time, but they never returned back to who they were and what they were before they met Jesus. And I think we've had a powerful tendency to want Jesus to bless our plan. And he's loved us enough that now he's inviting us to a new pathway. It's not a diminishment. He will not take some, God will be no person's debtor. Anything that you entrust to him mm. will come back to you in a much better form. Maybe not yes. today. We're not going to mock God by treating him like a heavenly Santa Claus. But I trust the creator of heaven and earth with my future. And I think that's the wonderful invitation of this season. We've been lulled into this idea within our culture of, um, of, of care that uh, we, we think that somehow there's going to be a mandate that's going to come down from on high that will take care of all of our problems. Uh, and, and yet I know that the word of God says that, that there is a mandate that has come down from heaven, from the real on high that says, if my people, not the enemies of my people, God will take care of them, but if my people, see, this is what gives me hope. The solution is what happens in the hearts of God's people, not that the enemy gets converted, but he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, we can do that. We can get humble. We can pray and seek my face and turn from our wicked ways, then God takes care of our enemies. He heals our, our land. He forgives us of our sin. That sounds like a real plan that I can get behind. It does, but I would put a cautionary word in there. We've prayed that prayer from Chronicles all of our lives. That's right. If you've been around the church much, you've heard that, yeah. you know, if my yeah. people, I've been in dozens and dozens and dozens of services where that was the, the lead idea. And I'm a little bit concerned that we're in a position similar to the Israelites were when the Babylonians were headed their way. And Jeremiah's got this message that judgment's coming. And on the opposite side of the discussion, there were dozens and dozens of false prophets saying, no, 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 God's delivered us time after time after time. And he will deliver us again. And their wonderful history of the faithfulness of God made them deaf to the enemy that was at the gates. And if I could have a minute with my closest friends, I would say, let's not be presumptuous in this moment. God has blessed our nation over and over and over again. He's delivered us from the most improbable places. But we're at a tipping point. We cannot continue to walk towards ungodliness and to wink at evil and to ignore immorality and to plunge more fully into greed 
and selfishness and imagine that the grace of God will just once again snatch us from the jaws of defeat. The book of Judges is a repetitive cycle of this happening. So we don't want that arrogance that comes by going, oh, nobody's ever seen it this bad. No, they have. Talk to the Ukrainian Christians right now. Talk to the Sudanese Christians that have lived through decades of civil war. Talk to the believers in Rwanda where a million people were slaughtered in 90 days. We're not unique, but we have a God opportunity on the table before us right now. What are we going to do this Christmas season? Are we going to pout if we don't get the package we want? Or are we going to go out and serve the Lord in our communities? Lead with our faith. Jesus has to come back to the public square, and it's our opportunity. Let's go. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.